African-American literature after 1975 is ongoing. Critics therefore have focused on and used the works of major writers such as Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, Rita Dove, June Jordan, and Ernest Gaines to define and characterize it. The first major trait of the literature is the dominance of black women writing. Of the major writers, only one is male, Ernest Gaines. In your opinion, what factors contributed to this emergence of African-American female writers in large numbers, adding impetus to and defining the American literary tradition since 1975? The second major trait of the literature is intertextuality. Writers repeat, respond to, and revise earlier themes and motifs in both African-American and mainstream literatures. What is the significance of intertextuality and why do writers use it? The third major trait is revisiting the past. Writers reappropriate the past by setting stories in the past and or drawing on past ideas, incidences, struggles, motifs, and so on. Examples include the impact of slavery, personal past of individual coming-of-age experiences, family and ancestral past, and use of African and African-American derived oral textual features in writing. What is or are the political and cultural functions of the use of orality in writing? What is the influence or impact of the past upon the present? Or how does the past clarify the present in literature? The fourth major trait is African American literature as history and quest. This relates to intertextual historiography and shows a recurrence of themes throughout the periods of African American literature. Trace specific themes such as identity, bondage, and freedom throughout the literature. How do these change during each period? The final major trait is broadening of horizons. This relates to how each successive period and generation adds new context to African American literature, themes, and styles. It shows that African American literature, identity, and concerns are not homogeneous, but rather heterogeneous, shaped by classism, various ideologies, religions, experiences, sexuality, and interactions with other cultures, with blacks in diaspora and continental Africans. We will use Ernest Gaines' The Sky is Gray and Alice Walker's Everyday Use to provide brief insights into the period, and then use Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings to provide a more detailed analysis of one of the best pieces of literature of this period. Be sure to read the introductions to these authors and their works for biographical and historical background to their works. Ernest Gaines' The Sky is Gray revisits the past. The story dramatizes most of the problems, views, and solutions that have been raised about racial relations in the United States. The problems include the poverty, hunger, hardships, and discrimination the narrator and his family face. The characters they encounter represent some of the solutions to the problems. The pastor they meet at the dentist's office represents passivity and pacifism, while the young student stands for activism. The argument between the two reveals the minister's endurance in contrast to the young student's militancy, which alludes to the ideas of the black power movement. Ironically, it is the minister who loses his temper and hits the young student. The fight between them shows the anger, conflict, and misunderstandings that separate people who should rather be allies. The elderly couple who shelter and feed the narrator and his mother demonstrate and symbolize a different solution to the racial problem. 
They offer solutions of kindness and compassion and demonstrate that these values transcend racial boundaries and unite rather than divide. Octavia accepts their kindness but refuses the oversized meat handout from them because she does not want special favors, but rather opportunity and fair treatment. The woman agrees and cuts the salt meat in half. The question to keep in mind as you analyze this story is this. Why does Gaines use an eight-year-old boy, James, as the narrator who tells the story in present tense and in his own dialect? His goal, perhaps, was to establish a disinterested, innocent voice that reports events in an unsophisticated, objective manner without explanations and commentary. That way, readers can draw their own conclusions. Like Gaines's story, Alice Walker's everyday use revisits the immediate past. When does the story take place? The early 1970s. And what were the predominant movements at the time in the African-American community? And which one has influenced D? the black power movement, obviously. What type of change has Dee gone through, and how has the black power movement contributed significantly to this change? What specific ideas of this movement have influenced her, and how has that change affected how she sees her family's home, her mother, and her sister? How might have her behavior and attitude been different if she had come home converted to Christianity instead? Would she have changed her name if she had converted to Christianity? And would she have behaved differently? Alice Walker uses the change Dee has undergone to repeat and overturn some of the ideas of the Black Power Movement. First is the name change. Dee changes her name to Wangero Liwanika Kimanjo. This name is mainly from the Kikuyu people of Kenya in East Africa. The correct spelling of the name, however, is Wanjiro Liwanika Kimenju. She has misspelled the name. Then, when she arrives, she uses an African greeting, Wasu Zotino. This is from the Luganda people of Uganda and translates to something like good morning, but what time of day does she arrive? Finally, we know that the majority of slaves were taken from West Africa. So if one wants to reclaim her African past, which part of Africa would she return to take a name and a greeting? What point is Alice Walker trying to make here? Having read the slave narratives and realized all that the mothers and grandmothers endured for their children and their family, which of the two names, according to Walker, is more meaningful, D or Wendero? In addition to the legacy of slave mothers and grandmothers, the church sponsored Dee's education the same way Christianity played a significant role in African Americans' struggles and freedom. Yet Dee turns against Christianity. Again, what point is Walker trying to make here? Another point Walker makes is that education sometimes may result in upward social mobility, change in one's mindset, and classism that may adversely affect and divide families. Maggie, Dee, and their mother grew up in poverty and experienced various challenges together, including the fire that burnt their house and scarred Maggie. However, Dee is somewhat alienated from them and perceives and relates to them differently because of her education and membership in the Black Power Movement. Again, what point is Walker trying to make here? Finally, is the way the mother chooses to settle the conflict between her daughters a good one? How does the title highlight the conflicting values in the story, especially the values of Dee and Maggie? Maggie will put the quilt to everyday use, whereas Dee plans to hang it, which is preferable. Maggie can quilt and knows the family history. 
D does not, and has embraced a different set of values. Should she have the quilt? The mother doesn't think so. As you evaluate the story, examine it not only as literature, but also as a political, cultural, social, economic, religious, and historical product of his age, showing the intertextuality of African American literature. As mentioned in the story's introductory material, Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings is autobiographical. Autobiography is defined variously. Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary defines it as a biography written by the subject of it, or memoirs of one's life written by oneself. As Philippe Lejeune explains, it is a retrospective account in prose that a real person makes of his own existence, stressing his, or her, individual life, and especially the history of personality. In the words of James Olney, it stands in for, or memorializes, or replaces, or makes something else out of someone's life. Although Angelou's novel is autobiographical, she remarks in an interview published in Black Women Writers at Work that, and I quote, I wasn't thinking so much about my own life or identity. I was thinking about a particular time in which I lived and the influences of that time on a number of people. I used myself as a focus to show how one person can make it through those times. She goes on to say that when she talks with young black women who have read the autobiographical novel, she feels that her work is not in vain and that she can never die. In Terlia, Angelou's narrator is not just an individual per se, but rather a collective or symbolic character epitomizing most black girls growing up in America. Because of this, Angelou redefines and adds to the meaning of autobiography. In chapters 15 and 16 of I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, Angelou writes about her initial ominous situation and those who threw her a lifeline. Why do you think she chose her title from the first line of Dunbar's poem, Sympathy? In the poem, does the bird escape from the cage? In the story, does Margaret escape from the cage? Obviously, Angelou's title has intertextual relations with Dunbar's poem, but the allusion is not mere repetition but repetition with a difference, what Henry Louis Gates Jr. calls a signifying black difference in his book Black Literature and Literary Theory. Examine these differences. How does one escape from the cage, according to Angelou? Who or what contributes to Margaret's escape? Describe the plot of chapters 15 and 16. What are the obstacles ranged against the protagonist? How might the protagonist be considered to be in the grip of large and indifferent social, economical, and political forces? How does she escape from these? Chapters 15 and 16 have at least four different settings, all in stamps. Grandmother's house, the store, Mrs. Flower's house, and Mrs. Cullinan's house. As shown on this and the next slides, each setting emphasizes different characters, language, and themes. What theme or themes does Angelou use these to communicate? What does Angelou imply in presenting a variety of discourses? How does Angelou make extensive use of setting, imagery, similes, metaphors, and contrasts to express feelings of entrapment, anger, violation, and eventual escape? The novel is rich in portraits of a wide assortment of black women. Compare and contrast three of these portraits, such as Grandmother, Mrs. Flowers, and Mrs. Glory, focusing on the following. Physical description of these women, evocations of their different environments and class, their racial and interracial relationships, and their language. 
Who does the child admire most and why? What role does Christianity play in the life of the grandmother and her grandchildren? The story revisits the past in many ways. Note how chapter 16 alludes to subjects of the past, such as slavery, naming, renaming, and the plantation tradition. How do these influence the actions and attitudes of Mrs. Cullinan toward Miss Glory and Margaret? Explain how Margaret is represented as a skilled warrior who uses soldiering to reclaim her name. What is the nature of her activism? The novel may also be seen as the personal past of the individual narrator's coming-of-age experience, a kind of bildungsroman. Consequently, there is seemingly an age differential between the narrator as a child, her earlier self, versus the narrator as an adult, as a matured, renowned author. How old is the narrator at the time of the story? About how old is she when she tells the story? What effect is produced by this difference in age between narrator as character and narrator as storyteller and author? Recall the other autobiographies by Acriano, Douglas, Jacobs, Washington, and Johnson that we have studied. Compare and contrast Angelou's autobiography to these previous narratives. What general conclusions can you draw about African-American autobiographical tradition? How did the narrator symbolize the collective eye and epitomize the experiences of others in their community? Angelou's autobiography also revisits the grandmother motif in African-American literature. Recall the other autobiographies and trace this grandmother motif. How is the grandmother in the novel like or unlike the other grandmothers? What, in your opinion, does the figure of the grandmother symbolize in African-American literature? Furthermore, Angelou's autobiography alludes to unfaithful white men and husbands during the slavery era. Trace this motif in African-American literature. How is Mr. Cullinan like or unlike the other unfaithful white men in slave narratives? What, in your opinion, does the figure of the unfaithful white man or husband symbolize in African-American literature? The two chapters also communicate themes of identity. First, various social realities, personal influences, and experiences shape the narrator's identity. Examine how the following shape her identity. Family. Abuse. Living with different family members, for example, the grandmother. Poverty. Mrs. Flowers. Literature and Education, and the Bible. Next, Angelou begins chapter 15 with this simile. For nearly a year, I sopped around the house, the store, the school, and the church like an old biscuit, dirty and inedible. Explain this simile and use it to speculate on the young protagonist's sense of self. What changes occur in the narrator's character? Specifically, how does the interaction with Mrs. Flowers and Mrs. Cullinan help the protagonist acquire a new, and perhaps better, sense of self? The opening simile of chapter 15 suggests that the protagonist is a very self-conscious child with aspirations to be like Mrs. Flowers or women in English novels. How does this quest allude to and thematize Du Bois's concept of two-ness in the novel? Finally, a number of responses might be made to this story. Among them, admiration for the protagonist, pity for her and her grandmother and for the downtrodden in general, anger at her abuse and impoverished condition, and relief as a result of her escape and success. Who or what is most to blame for these? Overall, the story presents a hopeful future for attaining the American dream. Speculate on why the literature of this era is more hopeful than previous eras.